December 2018, Auburn was announced as an R1 Carnegie Research Institution by the Carnegie Classification of Institutions of Higher Education, signifying Auburn's high levels of research activity. For most students, though, that side of the university isn't often seen. When most students think of research, they picture scientists in lab coats mixing colorful vials of liquid. We see our professors as only teachers, lecturing three times a week, holding office hours, and grading our tests. But that's not always the case. From the Auburn Plainsman, this is Sweet 1111. I'm Trice Brown. This week, we spoke with two different Auburn professors conducting very different kinds of research. First, podcast editor Collins Keith will narrate Katie Carroll's story on a professor studying a reclusive Cuban revolutionary. Then, I'll be back with a chemical engineering professor studying cardiovascular regeneration and tissue engineering. Stay with us. Hey, this is Natalie Beckering, content editor of the Auburn Plainsman. I just want to remind everyone, if you'd like to support this organization and our podcast team, you can log on to theplainsman.com and click on the button in the upper right-hand corner that says Donate. You'll be supporting over 127 years of local, editorially independent journalism right here in Auburn. Once again, that's theplainsman.com and click on the button in the upper right-hand corner that says Donate. Thank you so much in advance, and now back to the show. Hey, this is Collins Keith, podcast producer for the Auburn Plainsman. Dr. Tiffany Sipiel, director of the Honors College and professor of history here at Auburn, has been conducting in-depth research on Cuba since she was in college. Sipiel brought this research to Auburn when she joined the staff in 2007. Sipiel has a PhD in Latin American history and Spanish culture has played a role in her life since a young age. I got into Latin America through language study. I started studying Spanish actually in Montessori all the way through my parents. I grew up in Texas and my my parents were just insisted that I study Spanish all the way through. And I continued that into college. And, you know, it was really in college where I connected the language to the history and the literature and the culture. And it just brought Latin America alive for me in a completely different way. Sipiel said that she became really interested in studying Latin America in college. She became especially interested in women's issues and the history of women in Cuba. During this time, she also learned about female Latin American revolution leaders and was surprised because she had never previously heard of these people. Again, I think for me, it, it was the language was on my radar from so early that it's hard for me to remember at what point. But I do think it was somewhere around college that the language and the culture and the history came together. And, and what really also drew me in was the things that we were reading and studying that had to do with the history of women, because I was also simultaneously developing in college an interest in women's issues and the history of women. And so we were reading and watching movies and, and studying revolutionary movements in Latin America where women had played a major role. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've never heard about any of this kind of stuff. So those particular classes and the professors that I had because of their interests, as, as, and this is, comes back to that responsibility I now feel as a professor, they brought those things together for me um, in such a powerful way that just captured my imagination and it stuck with me for years. And, and certainly, I think a lot of the message that I received in those classes is, this is such an interesting area of history. There's so much to be done. It was like a call to action that, you know, just hit me at the right time in the right place. And here we are all these many <laughs> years later, and it's still kind of one of the guiding interests and, and missions really of my 
professional life. When she was in her junior year of college, a professor chose her to go on a research trip to Cuba. She said this trip helped shape the trajectory of her future, and now she is a huge advocate for undergraduate research. This was Scipio's first time in Cuba, and as part of the trip, her professor made her develop her own research project. This is what led Scipio to start studying Celia Sanchez Manduli, who became the subject of her undergraduate and master's thesis and eventually her second book. So I believe in undergraduate research because I've seen how something that starts as a nugget as an undergraduate project with the right sort of support and certainly interest on my part, but support from a lot of people can grow into something that I worked on for more than two decades. When Scipio first came to Auburn, she was researching prostitution in the larger context of how to understand the formation of the Cuban Republic. This was originally for her dissertation, but while at Auburn, it became her first book. So the first book is titled Prostitution, Modernity, and the Making of the Cuban Republic, 1840 to 1920. And that was published with the University of North Carolina Press as part of their Envisioning Cuba series. And that book is a history of, the, as the title suggests, um, the Cuban Republic, the making of the Cuban Republic, but using prostitution as a lens to understand all of the political, economic, and social and cultural sort of issues that the that Cubans struggled with in their fight to liberate themselves from Spain and then um, sort of establish themselves as a as an independent as an independent nation. Um, Even during the research process for Scipio's first book, she continued gathering information on Celia Sanchez Manduli, one of the key leaders in the Cuban Revolution. And the second book is Celia Sanchez Mandule, The Life and Legacy of a Cuban Revolutionary, also published with the University of North Carolina Press as part of their Envisioning Cuba series. And this is a feminist biography of Cuba's most famous female Cuban revolutionary. And um, it's an examination of her life, but also the stories that Cubans tell about her significance for their history. From Scipio's junior year in college to January 2020, this book took 25 years to complete. Scipio said that this was both because it was hard to gather existing information on Celia and because she preferred to live her life out of the public eye. Scipio used archives from the National Library of Cuba and interviewed people in Cuba who knew Celia. Scipio said that she was not granted access to Celia's personal letters until right before the book was completed. She had tried hundreds of times to get access, but didn't get it until one last email. 48 hours after I sent that last email, which was very personal, it was the most personal plea I'd made. Um, 48 hours later, I got a message back from the director of the archive and he said, all right, come on. 49 hours later, I had a ticket to Havana and uh, I went down there and was able to get access to the archives. And they and I've been told I'm like the fifth American who's ever had access to that archive. I hope I did a good job representing her, her story and, and in ways that she would approve of. Other than Scipio's two main books, she said she has conducted smaller research projects throughout the years focused on Cuba. Every year, Scipio takes a group of students to Cuba. I really enjoyed one of the pinnacle experiences for me at Auburn has been taking groups to Cuba. I've taken four, three student groups and one alumni group. It's just been super rewarding. And I find that I fall in love with and and, and also expand my own thinking about Cuba every time that I go, because they ask questions that hadn't occurred to me to ask, or I see things differently, or I see things new through their eyes, things that I've become desensitized to. They'll ask me about it. I'm like, 
Oh yeah, we should talk about that. That's a, that's an interesting difference between our two countries. So I, I think it's made me a better writer, a better researcher and a better teacher to have those experiences with the, the students. So I'm just eager for us to be able to get back. Sipiel said that there is a research component to the Cuba trips. Students do a 16-week-long research project before going to Cuba. This project is used to help students practice how to conduct and write research projects. Last year's trip was canceled due to COVID, but Sipiel hopes that they will be able to go again in spring 2022. Auburn is considered to have a very high research productivity on campus, which means that many professors conduct their own independent research. Sipiel said that for students who are interested in being part of a research project, the best thing to do is reach out to faculty and ask how to get involved. I was the same way. I didn't know this until I started doing research with professors as an undergrad. I thought that they taught. I didn't think about them having their own research agendas and writing books and all of that, but it's a huge part of what faculty do on campus and their and their contribution to the marketplace of ideas and and um and there's so much great stuff happening on Auburn, on Auburn's campus. It's just mind-blowing some of the research that people are working on. We'll be right back. From the Auburn Plainsman, I'm Jack West, and this is your news for the week. On March 8th, the CDC announced new guidelines for people who have been fully vaccinated against COVID-19. However, Auburn University announced that it would be keeping its current policy regarding masks until further notice, even for fully vaccinated students. And on Thursday, March 11th, Governor Kay Ivey announced that she would be extending the state's mask mandate until April 9th, but would not extend it beyond that date. In other news, in response to a list of demands from a local activist group, Auburn President Jay Gouge announced that there had been an 18% increase in black student applications for the fall 2021 semester. This comes after more than a decade of falling black enrollment numbers at Auburn. Gouge also announced that the university will be increasing its need-based scholarship funds by 200%. From the Auburn Plainsman, this has been your news for the week. Now, back to the show. Elizabeth Lipke is a professor of chemical engineering and runs Auburn's Lipke Lab, which researches tissue engineering, which is essentially taking cells out of the human body, growing them on a dish, and making those cells behave like they would have inside of the body. Here's how she explains it. It's kind of analogous to, you know, like from a from a college student perspective, it's kind of like you leaving your parents' house, right? Some of the things that you were going to do at your parents, you know, you're going to keep doing that you did at home with your parents. And some of the things you do at college are completely different, right? Right. <laughs> and so we want the cells to behave um, similarly in the dish to the, what they did in the body so that we can study them so that we can understand how disease, human disease progresses in human cells, how human development progresses in human cells, and so we can eventually use them. Um, for this kind of research has viable applications, like drug testing, and to do that, they have to create an environment for the cells to live that is most similar to that inside of the body. Creating these environments is like creating a dorm room for a student who just came to college a room similar enough to their old one that they would behave the same way in this one than they did in their old one. Like, for example, if you didn't have doors in your your apartment, you wouldn't be able to move around very well. Mm. Or um, if you didn't have hot water, you know, those kinds of um, support structures we need to provide for those cells. And so we do that by creating them a 3D microenvironment um, mm. that mimics the environment inside the body. And we do that with materials. 
-hmm. so that they can degrade and remodel the structure around them um, so that they have friends and neighbors, uh, just like, you know, you have friends and neighbors. Um, And so that they have to behave and follow some of the same rules that they followed inside the body. Um, Kind of like your parents sending you a text message reminding you usually halfway through the exam that you have an exam today. Specifically, the Lipke Lab is interested in creating environments to study cancer. Um, cancer is uh, a disease not only of cancer cells, but of supporting cell types. So it's kind of like um, cancer cells are kind of like juvenile delinquents. They don't get to being metastatic or going all over the body without help from their, from mm. their <laughs> you know, without help from their friends who tend to be fibroblasts. Um, so we, and immune cells, so we study um, co-cultures of cells and how those two cells, uh, cell types interact with each other and how that um enables us to you know, better mimic um, what happens in patient tumors. Hmm. Okay. Did you, do you often like use that analogy? Because you just had that ready to go. Yeah. No. It's hard to understand. And so it's a lot easier to understand if you have like a mental picture, right? Yeah. The lab also researches cardiac regeneration and how to increase the production of cardiomyocytes, which are the cells in the heart that contract and pump blood. Very few of these cells ever divide, so the ones you are born with are the ones that will pump blood throughout your body your entire life. So we have to, when you have a heart attack, you lose billions of cells. And so um, when you think about losing billions of cells, we have to think about how we can scale up production of, of cells to be able to replace billions of cells for people who mm. have damage to their heart for a number of reasons, right? Heart attack just being one of them. People have- there are others who stand to benefit from cardiac regeneration, Lipke said, like those who were born with a heart defect. People who undergo chemotherapy can also have damage to their hearts. And so understanding both how we can better um, combine chemotherapeutics to still be effective for cancer, but protect the heart. Um, Mm -hmm. We need to have better model um, systems to test those things in. The number one reason drugs are pulled from the market, Lipke said, is because of cardiotoxicity. They can damage people's hearts. It can cost billions to develop a drug, only for that money to be flushed once it affects some people's hearts. By creating these microenvironments to accurately mimic how a drug will behave in someone's body, scenarios like those can be avoided. Lipke said she's been doing cardiovascular research since she was an undergraduate and tissue engineering since graduate school. Now, she mainly runs the Lipke Lab, guiding graduate and undergraduate students in research. So what we do in our lab isn't necessarily going to change the world tomorrow by any means, right? (laughs) Research is a long process, but by students learning to do research and to discover new ideas and to to learn new things about how our body functions and about how we can treat disease, they can take those skills and apply them in their jobs, in, in industry, and as they go on to graduate school, as they go on to becoming faculty members themselves. And so that is probably the biggest impact that our research has is that we have the ability to to learn from each other and then teach each other as well. Research is a collaborative effort where you take someone else's idea and expand on it. Then someone takes your idea and expands on that. Every drop in the bucket contributes to a big wave, she said, but it's hard for students to see the impact of what they do during their time there. Sometimes you see immediate changes, right? Yeah. <laughs> move really fast. But oftentimes it's that additive effect of, of you know, the first student's idea that spurred the second student to 
to pursue. So like one of my first students uh, was working on, on the ability to encapsulate cells in microspheres. And we were doing it with a technique that was really hard to scale and really hard to reproduce. And then another student came and made that better. And then another student came and, and, and applied it to a different topic. And, and now like it's, it's gone to many, many different topics, right? Like drug testing and cell therapy for veterinary applications and um, and scalable cell production and it's you know, much broader than anyone had envisioned on day one yeah. but that's just our small part and right and then you see that as like the, the community of everyone adding things together Lipke said this kind of slow building up of discovery doesn't bother researchers that much she doesn't think they mentally go home at the end of the day and may have their best idea while out on a run or some other unrelated activity people who do research she said love to learn and it's the process itself that is fulfilling enough to go home feeling good about a day's work. Okay. Right? You never quite get out of your classwork, do you? No. <laughs> right. Okay. So it's about the same kind of thing, right? People who are doing research really love to learn and learn for the, enjoy, you know, they want to learn. And so, mm. so um, do you ever think you did this one thing? Sometimes, yes. Like when you finally, you know, you get your paper all ready to go and you submit it and you sent it off and you feel like oh wow you know like that was like a, a one thing or a student has finished a, a, a talk for a conference and they're you know ready to go to the conference and you can see like all of their progress together at one time but I think that's the hardest thing for researchers especially students is to to see how all those little increments that they make at a time um lead to a, a big success some days yeah there's there's been days where somebody sends me something and it's like they're so excited you know, they text me their, their, their they text me a picture a movie of their results for the day there's like it's really exciting for everybody but most of the time it you know you you have a problem and you solve that problem and you have another little problem and you solve that problem and then you get you know another little problem and you solve that problem and, and eventually you get to the end and then you forget that you had solved how long it took to get there and you're oh well i see another problem this that's maybe an engineering thing too engineers like solving problems <laughs> we're always like where's the next problem <laughs> can i solve it <laughs> so so yeah maybe that's exciting too like you see a new you see a new problem you're like oh wow that's a really cool question can i answer that Special thanks to Sharif Zakawi and our very own Collins Keith for the music for today's episode. From the Auburn Plainsman, I'm Trice Brown, signing off. See you next week.